Chapter Twenty Six, Part Two. The sentries paced the brightly lit front stoop of Ferrick's hutment. Talk turned aside. Down here. Not a fitting entrance for a future king, but wise. Through the flap, and down the chute, the way of fuel for the general's stove. The main passage was deserted. So was Felix's outer chamber. The lamps were lit, and the stove was banked ready for Felix's return from the changing of the guard. A pot of water steamed on the hot plate, and the general's mug was warming in the hearth. Through here. Ramony didn't move. He glanced to her face, saw it tight and set. He drew her through the far door into the dark of Ferret's bedchamber, a chill bare cell containing a single cot, a wooden soldier on which an officer hung his uniform at night, a washstand, and a commode. Once in. As she didn't move, but stared at the wooden soldier as in a trance. He felt a moment's compunction. Here she was, in the home of the one she hated, in the sleeping chamber. Morny, would you rather go now, while you can? She stirred herself. I'll be all right. Give me a minute. She glanced quickly to the window beside the cot, their only means of escape. No one will walk in on us, not until Ferrick's ready for bed, and that is late. From outside came the commands of drill sergeants, and the sound of feet marching across the wide compound. A new watch was on its way out. Strange, to hear the familiar routine again. A door opened and closed. Voices sounded through the chamber wall. Ferrick was back. What now, Gunyak? His handle of cloth and the day's dispatches before he goes to evening board. Can you read him? She shuddered slightly. I'll try. He watched her eyes close in the light from under the door. Felt her withdraw from him. Felt the resentment returning. Of her power, and at being shut out, even as he pitied her. For having to touch the mind that had destroyed her life, he heard the stove being raked and refilled, the familiar tinkle of spoon on cup, the sounds of feet coming and going on the polished floor, the bell probably, and the dispatch bearers. He smelled smoke from new kindled logs, 
the pungency of fresh brewed cloth. Scott, but he could taste it now. A low voice, unknown, sing-song, making report. Felix then appraised. Is that all you have to say? Where are the men I sent out? Why aren't they back? Talk remembered the voice as being strong and resonant. It sounded harsh and strident now. Strange, but in spite of Froom and all that he'd done, his old fear of the man was returning. I'm finding it hard, Gunyak. I'm tired. It's coming and going in waves. He's worried over you. He fears you come to grief. That man has great love for you. Love? His throat constricted. That word coming from Ramini. He caught her, pulled her to him, held her tight. What must she be feeling? How could he have brought her here? Peace, it's all right. Praise be to the choir. She laid her head on his shoulder and clung to him. The next room fell quiet. Ferric had dismissed his adages and would be sitting at his desk in his black and silver general's uniform, his cloth at his elbow. That brief interval was, and had always been, the most precious hour in Ferric's day. An interval of peace and privacy, invaded only ever by a small boy squatting beside fat stove, scarce breathing so as not to be sent out. Ramini raised her head. The rising is officially over. The assassin's heads rot by the citadel gates, yet Felix still uneasy. He fears there's more to come. He fears right. Ramini, I'm going in. She nodded once. He touched her shoulders, then, slipping past her, went through into the next room. Felix was on his feet, one hand on his sword hilt, the other on the bell. I shouldn't, fur. Talk went to the stove, stood with his back to it. Felix's chair went over as he rounded the desk. How tired the general looked. Haggard. Old. Talk. Felix gripped Talk's shoulders and held him at arm's length. Talk suffered the general's scrutiny. Haggard he may be, but he was a giant still. A very Juno. Talk must look slight beside him, but he wasn't. 
Oh, Ferric, if you only knew my strength now. Ferric let him go at last, moved back a step. Talk braced himself. Here he was, back home after all this time, against all expectations, without a word or sign of warning, and looking like the worst scrot. Would Ferric scold him for a wayward child, or greet him as his king? Ferric clicked his heels and bowed. Majesty. How did it happen, Fur? Ferric sighed heavily, moved to the window, looked out into the dark. It was on the night of your homecoming. I don't know how much you've heard. Go on. I was still in the weald. About one hour into the first watch, five men took the duty guard, the adades and Genser. They found him by the alarm bell. They say it was he who sounded the toxin. The king didn't have a chance. Five men? Five men, you say? How did five men get into the king's chambers unseen? We may never know. All five men were dead by the time help arrived. Brock, too, and fire raged through the keep. We managed to put out the fire at last before the tower was gone completely, so we were able to bring out the king's body, thank the quar, to bury him in a fitting way. He lies in the Hall of Tombs. I and my mother. What of her? Ferric looked surprised. The queen is dead also, sire. The wind carried the flames across the walkway even before the toxin sounded. We could not save her tower. Nobody survived. Nobody? Ferric walked back to the stove, held his hands to the flames. The Lady Turner has not been seen since the fire. One can only assume that she died with the rest. He cleared his throat. A number of bodies were pulled out, too charred for recognition. Pity, sire. She was heavy with child. Yours, they said. Her position in the Queen's household had become quite difficult. His child? Poor Tanner. Loyal Blossom. The idea of her engulfed in smoke and flame sickened him. Yet he merely shrugged as Ferric would expect him to. What, he asked Ferric, of the rest of us? All dead, sire, save Gar. He had just arrived back from the weald when it happened. In fact, he was the first to reach the tower. In your absence, he acts as king. By order of the council, of course. The council? Of which Ferric was a part. And you? What did you say? Is your hand on that? Sire, 
You know that answer as well as I. Derek hesitated. Say it first. They think you dead. Gar seeks the crown. It's been all I could do to hold him off. I still hoped you'd been somehow delayed. The fools! Is Gar the one behind the edicts? Aye. There are those who think the trouble not yet over. Gar is one. He holds that there are still rebels out there waiting their chance to move against the crown again. It's not over, is it, Fur? No. Twitch of the nose, if you like. A ghost of a smile touched the general's face. Where is it? Out there? In the wheeled? Or where? Derek didn't answer at once. Let's say I'm looking closer to home, sir. There was a welcome party waiting for me in Asadun, sir. Welcome party? Derek frowned. It came back three weeks ago. An unofficial one, under Enkalt. Enkalt? But he's in the wield. And not any more he isn't. By someone's order. You have no idea whose, have you, Fur? Sire! Felix stood up. He's sincere, Gurniak, and utterly shocked. Dork told Felix about the scene on the boat. The way the class had followed the pilgrims all the way to their hostel. They were not there for my welfare, Fur. Had they found me, I'd not be here now. He told Ferric then about his journey home, the search parties moving from Gunyak to Asadun. Looking for slaves, they said. I heard them telegraphed her. But they were looking for me, under pretext of carrying edicts. Somebody doesn't want me home. Any idea who? Ferric shook his shaggy head. None. And it's not for want of trying. As I said, I don't think it's over, and I've eyes all over the citadel. But this is too much. His face had gone a deep red. Whoever it is has got to our very vitals. Sire, I'll have Enkult brought back at once. He'll give us our man. Do you know exactly where he is? I do. You say Gar is acting king. How does he survive? He doesn't move without a bodyguard of twenty men. And three tasters at board. He's a frightened man, sire. But not too frightened to want the crown. Does he look to home for treason too? Who knows? He keeps his own counsel. But I'll tell you one thing. He's deeper than we ever thought him. He's won the council over. He can do no wrong in their eyes.
to hear them, you'd think he'd quelled the riot single-handed. Over half the council would crown him right now, but that's all over now you're back. He'll not be pleased to see you, sire. But he won't, just yet. Nor will anyone, until I've flushed off Omar from its lair. Think for how free I am to move about like this, and hard to protect. What do you plan to do? Nothing, until I've eaten. But first, I meet a friend of mine, a fellow pilgrim from Rum. Talk glanced at the bedchamber door. Ready, Ramani? No reply. Was the thought of confronting this man now too much to bear? Was she still there? Hiding his sudden anxiety, Talk waved towards the door. I'd not be here now but for him. He saved me back in Asadun. He threw wide the bedchamber door, and there Ramani was, standing by the window almost as though she'd been about to go through it. He took her arm and drew her out into the light. General Ferrick, meet Ramon of Rum. Ramani advanced slowly into the room. She looked grubby and unkempt in the ill-fitting groom's clothes. A strut of the lowest kind, like him. The general clicked his heels. Ramani made no move of any kind to acknowledge him. The set of her head made talk very nervous indeed. You are of Ganyak? Ramani's eyes flashed. I move around. Her voice was steady enough. Deep and husky for a woman, it was somewhat high for a man. He caught the flicker of Ferrick's eyes. Knew the general had judged her that instant as an undescended man. Now nothing she did would ever gain her favour with him. He can't help thinking as he does. The man is an animal in human clothes, but loyal as the most loyal of frats, Gagnac. Even as her thought came, Ferrick turned from her, dismissing her, ignoring her completely. Majesty, I am at your command. Say what you need. Food, fur, while we talk. We've not eaten since sunup. Who's your man? Gibal? Talk nodded. Call him in. Ferrick moved to the wall behind his desk, pulled the bell. Gibal was in at once. Sire! Gibal smiled delightedly. His eyes glanced off Ramani, then back to talk. Then, realising his lapse of discipline, he went rigid, looking stiffly ahead. Gibal, his majesty requires food and cloth, and water for baths. Be fast and quiet. 
No one must know of His Majesty's return. Sir, Gibbal clicked, saluted. As though he tried to make up for his lapse, he looked not once to talk or Ramani again, but addressed himself wholly to the general, wooden as a shrewd. I think, Fur, Talk said, when Gibal was gone, I'll visit the king's tower while you're at evening board. What do you think? I think it risky. Not in guard gear, with special passes signed by you. Mm. Ferrick folded his arms across his chest. Well, if you must, you must, he said gruffly. But Talk knew the man was really pleased. Within the hour, he'd be standing where the king had died. What would he find there? Not long. Then he'd know. Gibal led them to a small room, three doors down, where uniforms lay ready. The moment the door was closed, Ramani whirled on him, her face tight. You expect me to wear those? She pointed to the black tunics, breeches, silver-trimmed, shiny black boots, leather cuirass, black steel helmets winking in the lamplight. Talk stood stricken. He'd never thought. Since he was a child, that uniform had always meant comfort to him and security. And as a young man, it represented the might of Gunyak. But to her, oh, how could he not have realized? He went to her, tried to put his arms about her, but she pushed him off. Ramani. I'm so sorry. The words sounded lame. What a gulf lay between them, him and Ramani. How could he possibly breach it? But what could I say out there? Look, you stay here. I'll go alone. He began to undress. After a long moment, she did the same. Ramini, don't. It's not for you, Prince. I have my reasons. Huh, thought Talk, feeling a sudden kinship with Kaboom. You always have those. He watched as Ramini went to the stand, pick up the bridges, and with set face draw them on. Eo was at her first great fullness. The spring tide moon in Asadun, when homing fish sprang to the net, the sower's moon on the plains, the soldier's moon in Gunyak, signalled to shake off Winterlock and hit the campaign trail. She was wasted that night over the citadel, obscured as she was by mist 
that clung about its ramparts like lingering smoke. Ramani stopped in the shadows of the central courtyard. Had she seen something? Dork fingered the passes in his tunic pocket. What is it? Theric, he wants me gone. Talk relaxed. Well, too bad for Theric, for your staying. No, Gurniak. When this is done, I go. You promised. But that was then. Surely you've reconsidered. Maybe once or twice, but not for long. I can never belong here. You must see that. He looked down at her, incongruous in her guard uniform. I see nothing of the sort, Ramani. I need you, and I'll need you more after I'm crowned. She shook her helmeted head. Sorry. Remember what I said about barter? It's good, clean trade with no strings attached. I must feel free to go. He sighed and moved on around the courtyard, through an archway, and across the cobbles to the king's keep. He could see nothing. He put his hand to Ramani's shoulder, felt a shudder go through her. Are you cold? She shouldn't be, under all that gear. No, she answered. Then he felt it too. Chill air tinged with the stink of Sharrock's funeral pyre, whose blackened ribs curved up above their heads, invisible in the mist. She was trembling now, engulfed in that dead smell. Their thoughts touched, and at once talk was overwhelmed by grief, her grief, as she stood once more a child, watching her own world explode in bright sparks and crash in ruins about her tethered feet. He put his arms about her. You shouldn't have come. Wait for me back there. It's nothing. Continue. They trod the outer stair carefully, keeping close to what was left of the wall, their boots crunching soft carbon and rain-flocked ash. As they reached the king's chamber at last, the mist partially cleared, revealing the waxen moon, high, small, remote from that ruined, roofless place. The charred hangings about the burnt-out bed, the shapeless hunks of molten lead, remains of priceless chests that had contained the king's robes and furs. There, the boot chair in which the king had received him that last night, and there his writing desk, and everywhere under their feet. Talk could almost smell it, the blood, Sharrocks, Brocks, old Genses, the guards, and the assassins all mixed together in the brittle charcoal 
that had been the floor. Talk's throat tightened. He glanced up, remembering how he'd looked down upon the fire, heard the king's last cry, the toxin bell. He edged forward, feeling around holes in the floor, through to the reception room beyond. A splendid chamber this had been, with its vaulted windows overlooking the three royal courtyards, east to the Queen's Tower, west to Gars, and south to his own. It is exactly as I saw it. Ramani was standing close to the outer wall, staring out towards the ruin of the Queen's Tower. Talk turned away to look east, towards the lighted windows of the banquet hall, where at that moment Ferric dined beside Sherlock's empty seat. He crunched around to the west side, to the line of dark casements that marked his own apartment, still sealed and guarded, Ferric had told him, as they had been since he'd left for room. Aravac had died there, and Tanner had been sworn to him, and Tork had walked from those chambers new shorn to go to room. How lightly he'd left then, secure in the knowledge that he'd be king one day, that one day it would be his turn to play the game, a game he'd thought better than Chukar, with real blood and rules to break at whim. He'd also left behind him a father he'd not yet come to grips with, a mother he despised. But all was changed, with Gurniak and with him. Now there lay on him the sudden weight of that crown, with nothing solid under him. There lay on him also grief for Sharok and the Queen. How could he ever know his father now? And how could he ever make amends to the Queen for all his slights and insults? As for the future, the path to the throne was now a dangerous one, uncertain and bloody. Did he have the stomach for it any more? He turned away. They should go back to the barracks. He'd promised Beric he would before folk rose from evening board. Yet the sight of his windows beckoned him strongly. Who lives down there? Ramini stood beside him, looking down. I do. Why? He felt her shiver slightly. It is so dark and cold. Which is not surprising, considering the place has been sealed for three quarters of a sun around against my return. Come, 
have a mind to raise the dust down there. Ramani hung back. Master, I don't worry. There's a back way. No one will see us. He steered her towards the stair. Watch your step, Ramani. Nay, she answered him. Do you watch yours? The rear gallery was deserted, as he'd known it would be. Here, on that last night, Tanner had scrubbed away Aravak's blood. Poor Tanner. The smell of charcoal was still strong upon him. He raised the faded tapestry, slid the panel aside, and gestured Ramani through. Mind your head. He stepped in after her, let the tapestry fall behind them, closed the door again. He squeezed past Ramani to lead the way. Keep your head down. There's a low beam in front of you. Not much farther. Wait. There's a step. There. He reached for the inner door and slid it aside. It was pitch dark in there, of course, the curtains being drawn. But he knew how it looked. The shrouded furniture knew where every piece was. He stood quite still, sniffing. There, over the old familiar smell, the faint mustiness of the langar skins, the bitterness of dry hornwood, the tang of armour on the wall, came another odour. The catch of smoke. He sniffed. Could it be from the burned towers? No. It smelled fresh, and he sniffed again. Above it came another scent, a fresh doused candle wax. Nay, more. Over it all was yet one other, as from human flesh too long confined in dark and airless space. Cognac. Even as Ramani's warning came, a slight sound came from the window. He crossed the room, felt his way along the thick harpile, slipped round into the bay. A figure stood opposite him, pressed up against the window panes. A shapeless figure, heavily swathed. With a cry, the figure ran, flinging the curtain in his face. Quick, Gagnac, light! Talk moved out, crossed to the bureau, uncovered, and taking up his tinderbox from its customary place, struck flint against steel, and at once he saw the figure lying by the glory hole. He moved across, bent, and pulled back the hood. The face was beautiful, death pale. The eyes were closed. Hannah.